Greetings, parish orphans and retrogrades. Happy belated International Women's Day. We celebrate privately in the Gordon household. Actually, this is a day that started in, in Bolshevik Russia in 1917, just before the revolution. So comrades and, uh, and, and, and women out there, women workers of the world, happy Bolshevik International Women's Day. The Politburo wants you to enjoy it. By hating men or something like that. What we originally had lined up for you, in all seriousness, uh, on International Women's Day was supposed to be a panel of Christian feminists who were going to pepper me with questions and probative uh, Socratic lines of reasoning and may maybe pepper spray if they... <laughs> who knows? I mean, it depends. It depends. What I, and I, here's the thing. I'm... I was open to all of it. That didn't come through the probative line of questioning, reasoning, or pepper spray. And so we just didn't wind up having a show that day. And I was disappointed. So today, any Christian feminists out there, please, at the end of the show, hit us with your FAQs. Today, there's another timely topic that has been coming up lately, largely because it came up on one of the bigger Catholic channels, uh, a great Catholic channel that I uh, like and, you know, almost always endorse, uh, Matt Frad's channel, Pines with Aquinas, a, a good priest, goodly priest, uh, Father Gregory Pine. He treated of this topic, which makes the uh, titular substance of today's show on rules for retrogrades. Why was Eve made out of Adam's rib? And I'd love to have Father Pine on my show sometime. I wanted to turn it around in faster time since Matt went to his non-smartphone. I've had a tougher time getting a hold of him, but I'd love to have Matt and or Father Pine on the show about this topic. I just did the show recently on peppering one another Catholics with honest lines of questioning and saying, hey, I disagree here, but still remaining friends, which is quite easy for me to do, actually. Uh, temperamentally. Well, that's what I want to do today because Father Pine um, asserted that female equality and dignity required a certain reading of the rib of Adam, which is to say Eve, that is theologically not superable, not supportable. And so I'm just going to jump into showing where it's not. And if, if anybody knows uh, Father Pine, Tell him that, that Timothy Gordon, with respects, uh, loves the guy, has seen him do much great work on Matt Fred's show. But I'd, I'd love to talk to him about this. Maybe you should watch this show. The preliminary, so the video came out 12 days ago, and it was just Father Pine on Matt's channel. And here's how it began. He was uh, interrogating, why can't we have women priests? He said, I want to assert preliminarily two things, female equality and female dignity with, with that, that I guess achieves uh, inequality with males. There's a bit of a conflation here because um, the bimillennial Christian teaching is a certain kind of equality between men and women, equality of dignity. So they're not two separate concepts I would postulate at the beginning that this is what confounded Father Pine's entire analysis. 
Um, and Steffi Gordon, I'm going to need that phone for uh, thank you. Yeah, we have so much stuff going on at the house. Uh, the phone I use together with books here. I've got the ultimate secondary source material for the question today. I'm mainly going to be working, I've been talking about Ask Your Husband. To correct Father Pine, I'm mainly going to be using the Case for Patriarchy today because I, I just stacked up so many resources. Buy Case for Patriarchy, buy Ask Your Husband. If you like uh, the cut of what I'm saying today, I think you will. It's just simple, matter-of-fact theology to assert, as I was, that uh, men and women in the bimillennial Christian tradition are equal in one way only, the dignitarian way. They're equal of dignity, and I think Father Pine's problem is that um, he thinks equality and dignity are two separate issues. Um, so now, he jumps out by saying, Eve is Adam's rib to show their total equality, or, or some, something approaching their total equality. Okay, and he proceeds to give a feminist read on this passage, which is, I think, uh, Genesis 2, uh, chapter, Genesis 2, verse 22. And he gives a feminist theologian named Matthew Henry's read. This is what Matthew Henry says. Eve was not taken out of Adam's head to top him, neither out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be loved by him. This is, aside from the basic idea, not his head, not his feet, were the source. Those are correct. Everything else is wrong. And the problem is that um, Father Pine assigns this to the titular uh, moniker, Aquinas. And Aquinas, this is what he says. Uh, it was right for a woman to be made from the rib of man. First, to signify the social union of man and woman, for the woman should neither uh, use authority over the man, and you know, I'm going to cite three or four other passages where he says, the man has authority over the woman. This is clear. Um, and so she was not made from his head, nor was it right for her to be subject to man's contempt as his slave. And so she was not made from his feet. And Aquinas quote, nothing of equality there in Aquinas. It wouldn't be there. Today, I'm going to cite not only Aquinas, but his one of his great masters, Peter Lombard, Augustine, Jerome, Chrysostom, St. Paul, the Bible in 10 specific spots that say, there is no question here. This is theologically pat, theologically set, that the equality between man and woman, Adam and Eve, is unique. An equality of dignity. God loves us equally, but we are not equal in rank, right, in the hierarchy of, of the household. Protestants, because they take scripture so seriously, are better on this issue than Catholics, okay? So we're going to get into, I don't know, the tortured nature of being on an, a, a Thomistic show, Pints with Aquinas, and saying that, as I think Father Pine did, uh, I'm sad to announce, that, that Aquinas takes outmoded Aristotelian uh, anatomical precepts from, from Aristotle, of course, and this is what misinforms him. Well, one, actually, this is a theological and an anthropolog anthropological 
distinction that Aquinas makes. It, it has very little to do with the body. The bodily references are anagogical. And I'm going to show you how in today's show. And literally, each of those, I think, nine Christian thinkers, most of them doctors of the church, all one way say, no, Eve was made from Adam's rib, not his head, because Adam is the head of the body. Now, she wasn't made from his feet because she wasn't a slave. Father Pine um, seems to think, reasoning along with this Matthew Henry, that uh, any kind of dominion, male over female, is that of master over slave. Aquinas, to whom Father Pine misattributes this quotation, it's really a Matthew Henry quotation, um, does not conceive of dominion, male over female, as only being in one fashion. There is properly ordered dominion, uh, husband over wife, and improperly ordered. She wasn't made out of his feet because she's not his slave. Peter Lombard repeats this phrase. Jerome does too. But all of them, Aquinas, Lombard, uh, and actually several of the patristics, they all say, but she's made out of rib meat, which is associated with the heart, and the male is uniquely head. So he is to rule over her as a goodly king to a subject, right? One who shares flesh, a unique kind of king. Because there's a dignity there that's inherent to a woman because she's made out of man. We're going to talk about all of this in today's show. And it's going to be none of my opinion uh, past, past what I have here, okay? So let me start out with just to show how mandatory patriarchy is, on page 53 of The Case for Patriarchy, the best synopsis of the treatment of man and wife from the scripture, 10 direct quotes from the New Testament that were given to us by a scholar named John Fulton. So I'm, I'm quoting Fulton, but... These are all pithy little direct quotes from, count them, 10 places in New Testament proving to any kind of Christian, Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox, that Father Pine has to be wrong about his radical assertion of total equality between men and women. There is a rank, right? We're equal in dignity, but we're not equal in rank. That interpretation simply cannot stand up if the following 10 passages in the New Testament are not true, and they are all smushed together beautifully for us, I might add. Smushing usually isn't a term of beauty by this scholar, John Fulton. So I'm going to read John Fulton. This is on page 53 of the Case for Patriarchy. I will put my finger, I will name when I go to each new quote. The husband is the head of the wife, the woman being made for the man and not the man for the woman. That's most key to today. Therefore, the woman is not to usurp authority over the man, but to be obedient, submitting herself with reverence while in subjection to her husband. Meanwhile, the husband is to love his wife as his own body, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, and he is especially to honor her because of her weakness and dependence." This is one of the greatest scholarly feats of the Grand Reclamation Project in our broken world in 2022 I have ever seen. Maybe number one 
Maybe it is the greatest scholarly feat because he compiled 10 scriptures in one short paragraph. And I cite John Fulton on page 53 of The Case for Patriarchy. Get this book on Amazon today. I'm going to go through it. Now I'm going to break it up. Risk a little bit more light. Risk a little bit more time. I'm going to reread that passage because it's that momentous to show something must be wrong by any in the figurings, the cogitations of any so-called Catholic or Christian feminist, any so-called Catholic or Christian radical egalitarian between the sexes. We are only, as Christians, egalitarians in the sense of dignity. Only male and female dignity, meaning the amount of love from God, is the same, but not the rank. The husband is the head of the wife, Ephesians 5.23. The woman being made for the man and not the man for the woman. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to pay attention to this specially later. Therefore, the woman is not to usurp authority or in some translations, headship over the man. 1 Timothy. I wrote that one. Chapter 2. <laughs> no, my namesake did. But to be obedient. Titus chapter 2. If you don't like female wifely obedience, take it up with St. Paul and the... And, uh, the and New God. Testament and God submitting herself, Colossians chapter 3. I can do the next one <laughs> with reverence. Yeah, there we go. With Six. reverence, <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5 in subjection to her husband, First Peter, number 8. Meanwhile, the husband is to love his wife as his own body. We're going to get into the theology of this at the end today. Number 9. Even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, Aquinas, Lombard, and several of the patristics will get into this. Ephesians 5 again. And 10, especially he is to honor his wife because of her weakness and dependence. Okay? So when somebody says, oh, my my wife is so strong. I mean, people know this lady sitting beside me is a wonder. You know, the light of my life, my best friend, my best friend since I was shortly out of my teens, since she was 18, long before we even began dating, we were friends, okay? So just my best friend for well over half my life. This is not a contradiction. It is flesh of my, you know, one flesh now. Flesh of my flesh means our kids. But <laughs> I, don't, I don't ever describe you, and you're, you're an exceedingly resilient person with an exceeding biography, I mean, just surprisingly tough-fibered. But I never say, this is a strong woman. This is the strongest woman. Because, I mean, look, theologically, I am especially to honor you. This is inerrant scripture now, people, because of bodily weakness and dependence. You're either a Christian or you're not. These are not, these are not proof texts. These are not throwaway lines. So I don't say that even though I'm like, man, Steph is witty. I, I go to no one for advice before Steph. I get no consistently better advice from anyone, elder or otherwise, from anyone but Steph. But I don't use these masculine terms because I'm not an egalitarian. I'm not a socialist. I'm not a communist. I'm not a Bolshevik. They're the ones pushing all this stuff. I'm not George Soros. So there are the female equivalents, similitudes of these virtues, that some of which are inherently male virtues, that are beautiful and as beautiful as my best friendship and favorite relationship on planet Earth. Um, 
with with my wife. Uh, sacred, sacred relationship. But I take scripture seriously, and I know Father Pine does too. So the point is there. Let me now read, having said all that, think about it. None of these 10 scriptures that John Fulton compiled into a short paragraph on my page 53, um, inerrant scripture quotes, can contradict the equal di- dignity of women, right? Women have, oh, they're 100% as much loved in the eyes of God as men. That's not true about our favorite dog, our favorite pet, our favorite whatever. Men and women are of equal dignity, 100%. He does not favor males to females. But each one of these 10 scriptures from John Fulton that I just read out contradicts equality simplicitaire, the simple sense of equality right? Literally, literally, especially the second one, woman being made for the man and not the man for the woman, man being made first and the woman being made from him, shows why heteronormativity is the only way, shows why trannies and LGBT people uh, have no case, right? Under natural law or supernatural law, because men and women are made for each other, and even sexual congress the marital act is natural because woman comes from the rib of man. And she's, she's, the rib is very close to the heart. Woman is in many ways the protector of man's heart, just like a rib. So woman is always associated with the heart of the home, but man is the head of the home, in charge of it. This is important. Now, um, let me read to you another passage how does Aquinas handle family hierarchy? It's going to be the way, the, the one direction I'm kind of pushing this. I'm, it's, there aren't going to be any God of surprises propositions here today, Pope Francis. This all goes in one direction, okay? But again, Father Pine seemed concerned that um, the dominion of husband over wife is always the disordered kind. There's only one kind of it. It's always master over slave. And Aquinas, Augustine, Peter Lombard, they all say no. Woman was specifically not made out of the feet of man because she's not his slave. But she wasn't made out of the head because he is associated with the head. And therefore, man is to rule over her, not as a master over a slave, but as a servant king who is in charge of his subjects like Christ is a servant king. Man is related to Christ in several of these scriptures, and woman is to the bride, the church. Okay, here's, here's what St. Thomas says. See what you think of this. Hence, St. Paul states, let women be subject to their husbands because a woman, if she have a superiority, is contrary to her husband. It comes directly from the Old Testament, book of Sirach, chapter 25. So he especially warns them about subjection. It's important. It is the main divisive force in the world today, causing all the other uh, subversive ideologies. The failure of a wife to submit or to be subjected to the dominion of her loving husband, not as a slave to master, but as a someone who is served by a servant king, but also has to submit to them. 
Aquinas is directly contradicting Father Pine here. So he especially warns them about subjection. This is as a Lord, comes directly from St. Paul, as a Lord, since the relation of a husband to a wife is in a certain way like that of a master to his servant, insofar as the latter ought to be governed by the commands of his master, in that way, but not in other ways. The relationship of wife to husband is like a servant to master in one way, and one way only. Aristotle will call this a prosen equivocal. She must obey, but not like him, not like the relation in other ways. The difference between these two, says St. Thomas, is that the master employs his servants in whatever is profitable to himself and by dint of implication, harmful to them. But a husband treats his wife and children in reference to the common good. Thus, he mentions, as to a lord, the husband is not really a lord, but he is as a lord, like a lord, but not. Let wives be subject to their husband, St. Thomas says. Okay, so immediately I understand Father Pine's objection, his, his worry in treating of why women can't be priests, why the namesake of the show he was appearing on, Aquinas, in Pints for Aquinas, why Aquinas says very, very clearly that the husband is the head and the woman is the heart or the rib. This sets up a hierarchy. Today, people are very exceedingly uncomfortable with hierarchies. But you can't overstate. You can't give Matthew Henry's feminist interpretation of Eve as the rib of Adam and, and attribute it to Aquinas. It's, that's just, that's not correct. Here's what Aquinas says one more time about the rib. Uh, for one thing, he says, this is a different part of the Summa Theologiae, 1.92.2. Uh, By this, the rib, is signified that the church takes her origin from Christ. Fe- females take their origin from males. The church, always a she, takes her origin from Christ. St. Paul says it clearly in two different scriptures, 1 Corinthians and Ephesians. The husband is always associable with Christ. The head of the church, and the wife is always associable with the bride, the church, who takes in all things orders from the head, okay? So that's a different quote by Aquinas on the rib meat. Uh, I'm going to get to some other theologians who contradict Matthew Henry, who said that being made of Adam's rib made Eve his equal. Total contradiction. Father Pine said that. It was a Matthew Henry quote, falsely, I think accidentally, 100%. Father Pine's a good priest. We, we have nothing but love for him here. This is a fraternal correction, and we'd love to have him on the show. Uh, good man. Matt Frad, good man. This is how you do it. Just correct. None of the opinions, no emotion, right? Facts don't care about our opinions, things like that. Okay, here's what Aquinas said in the first passage from the Summa. To signify the social union of man and woman, the woman should neither use authority over man, ever. And so she was not made from his head, nor was it right for her to be subject to man's contempt as a slave. So she wasn't made from his feet. That doesn't mean that she wasn't subject to his dominion. And I just read you a longer Aquinas passage from this book to show that definitely there's a family hierarchy. 
Definitely there's a family hierarchy. The husband is as a lord, not a lord himself, but he's as a lord. And let women be subject to their husbands because if she has superiority, she's contrary to him. That comes from the book of Sirach. She has to take the commands of a goodly master, not a master to slave, but a master who is as a lord, that is to say, as a king. Um, so I hope everyone out there understands in the first place, before we get to uh, specific patristics writing on rib meat as Eve, uh, being made from Adam's rib, not his head or his feet, uh, that male dominion can take several forms. It can take a disordered form, where, which we see largely in Islam, among other world philosophies and religion. Islam is the most prominent one, where far too often, I'd say normally, in normal situations, women are treated as if they were taken from the feet of their husbands, or, or Eve from Adam. That is not the Christian way. In the Christian world, in the Christian uh, ontology, a woman is, in God's eyes, completely of equal dignity with men, equal love, but not equally in charge, not equally strong, not equally fast, that we have different brain chemistries altogether. And that's why the family hierarchy is such. Okay, she's made from his rib, yes, to show that she's a companion. She's close to his heart. It's more like, much more like an equal than a religion like Islam where the woman is treated as if she's made from his feet. But not an equal, right? Because, he's, because the rib is not equal to the head. This is what Father Pine missed. The rib is not equal to the head. Okay, um... Listen to John Chrysostom. This is important, and it's a little bit of a different perspective on ribs, heads, feet, things like that. After saying the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is of the church, St. Paul further adds, this is all Chrysostom writing, and he is the savior of the body. For indeed, the head is the saving health of the body, writes Chrysostom. He had already laid down beforehand for man and wife, the ground and provision of their love, assigning to each their proper place. I know this is offensive language to people in 2022, but who cares? This is the truth. For each to their proper place. To the one, that of authority and forethought, the head, the male. To the other, that of submission. And then the church, in this sense, both husbands and wives, is subject unto Christ, so all ye wives submit yourself to your husbands as unto God. So it's a one is to two as two is to four. Proportion of proportionality. That's what uh, Chrysostom's after here. Peter Lombard. This was a coincidence because I just had an advanced Latin exam and I was studying this exact passage starting the day after. I, I had to make this translation actually for my, for my test. The day after I heard the Father Pine show on pints with Aquinas and it just jumped out at me uh, so this is not a common commonly translated uh, Peter Lombard passage Peter Lombard who wrote the sentences Thomas Aquinas's first comment uh, commentary of theology was on the sentences this is Lombard writing on why 
was Eve made from Adam's rib. In the same paradise, also, Lombard writes, God formed a woman from the substance of man. And after being planted in paradise and man placed in it, and after all the animals had been named by man, which he, pause, which man did before the formation of Eve, by the way. He gave, he assigned names to things. He gave Eve her name. This is mastery. This is theologically, anagogically always mastery. Um, man had been placed in paradise then. And after all the animals had been named by him, he'd designated their names. Scripture adds this, God cast a deep sleep on Adam. When fast asleep, he took one of his ribs and formed it into a woman. I know this is all my Latin translation because it hasn't been translated uh, popularly. Here it is to be noted, Lombard writes, why he did not create man and woman at the same time, like angels were all created at the same time. But first man, then woman from man. This is theologically important. Clearly, the beginning of the human race might be one insofar as in even the devil's pride would be confounded and the humility of man was made high by his likeness with God. For the devil coveted that there be another beginning from God so that his pride be blunted. This man accepted as the office which the devil perversely wanted to kidnap but could not obtain. And thereby the image of God appeared in man Image of God appears in woman too, by the way, uh, if you didn't know. Because as God exists in all things, as the principle or beginning of creation, so also man, because he's made first, is the beginning of generation for all men. He didn't generate the normal sexual way, right? Uh, Asexually. From him was generated woman, from man and woman, who are one flesh. You come together as one flesh, and that's the normal procreative act. Um. Okay, so that's that's Peter Lombard, and that was just a pure coincidence the day after I heard the pine quote. I saw that. I have a million other quotes for you. Um, Aquinas again, since since the namesake of Father Pine's show is Aquinas, I, I, I decided to get another passage for you because it's important. Um Then, uh, so St. Thomas, by the way, is assuring us there is no Christian feminism. If any conceivable doubt remains, as if St. Paul hadn't been sufficiently clear in those 10 scriptures, which I read for you at the beginning of the show, St. Thomas puts the theological necessity of the household patriarchy beyond all doubt by stipulating that the wife is subject to her husband's dominion in all things not contrary to God. I'm going to read this to you now from Aquinas. I just read to you from page 59 of the case for patriarchy. But I want you to be crystal clear. I'm citing all of these fathers and scholastics because it's that simple a theological question, whether or not it's unpopular in 2022. It's clear. The church has always taught it. It's central to Christology, who Christ is. It's central to ecclesiology, who the church is. Christ is male. The church is female. There's a very real relation, relationality between them. And remember, the concern of most folks, like Father Pine, most good folks, like Father Pine, 
is that if they say, look, there's a dominion of, of husband over wife, that for some reason, people will hear that and skip over the ordered iteration of that dominion, the natural one, and skip right to the disordered, unnatural one, the Islamic kind of relationality, rapport between husband and wife. No, the natural one and the supernatural one, the sacramental one and the uh, nature derivative sense that happens beautifully is a virtuous, complementarian, beautiful, easy, good, trapped to fall in kind of relationality and dominion between husband and wife. Here's what Aquinas says to prove that there are at least two senses of this dominion. One, at least one's good. There might be several bad ones, but here's the good one. Then St. Paul brings in the example when he says, as Christ is the head of the church, God has been made, uh, sorry, God has made him head over all the church, which is his body, Ephesians chapter one. This is not for his own utility, but for that of the church, since he is the savior of the body. For there is no other name under heaven given to men whereby we must be saved. Behold, God is my Savior. I will deal confidently and will not fear. From this, he draws the conclusion he intended, saying, therefore, as the church is subject to Christ. Thomas continues, as though he said, it is not proper for an organ to rebel against its head in any situation. A rib to rebel against the head? Not proper. But as Christ is the head of the church in his own way, so a husband is the head of his wife, and therefore the wife must be obedient to her husband as the church is subject to Christ. This is Aquinas citing St. Paul. Shall not my soul be subject to God? This is Psalm 62, he's quoting. So also let the wives be to their husbands. See how clear this is, folks? There's nothing to get tangled up on, no snags, unless you try to let in a little bit of Christian feminism. Not to be bad, but to be copacetic, to be palatable, the way, the way Father Pine was doing. Other channels do this regularly. Good channels. You can't let in even a little bit of the feminism. It's toxic poison. It's the original sin. It's the font of all the weirdness we see in the world today, LGBTQ+. And you, Thomas concludes, shall be under your husband's power, meaning that's a good thing, in all things which are not contrary to God, for Acts 5, Thomas says, affirms, we ought to obey God rather than men. What he's directly saying here, Aquinas, is that when a wife obeys her husband, if he's not ordering her to do something impious where she can disobey, she is obeying God. And this is a clear, and this is where we're going to go a little bit more theologically with the last five or so quotes I've lined up for you on the subject. This is what headship is. It even involves the theology of veiling. A man's headship is unmediated by anyone. He's the head of the single cell of society. He must obey God, yes, but there's no one to tell him what to do day to day. A wife is different. She veils her head. She doesn't have headship. St. Paul says this a few places in Scripture, precisely because her headship is mediated. It's her husband's headship. 
This very, very important theology. And you can see, even if you, even if you don't like what I'm saying, I understand. Even if you don't like the clear teaching of the church on this, and it's difficult in 2022, I think it's very natural. I don't think it's one of the hard sayings in the Bible. I do think there are hard sayings in the Bible. I think this is what I've always known. But if you don't like it, you can at least see, probably a little bit better now, why someone with the received view of the church on husbands and wives would attribute with so much clarity all of the world's big problems to the erosion of the family when wives, as St. Paul says not to do three different times in scriptures, commandeer the headship from their husbands. Okay, so um, St. Jerome, master of the Bible, uh, says something beautiful. He says, Adam's rib was fashioned into a woman and it signifies Christ and his church. Uh, Aquinas repeats this basically in another passage that I don't, I don't have in here. I've already read it once. I'll read it again. By this, the rib is signified that the church takes her origin from Christ. St. Augustine writes on this. Uh, he, he ruminates a little more deeply. Writes on the rib. Adam's sleep was a mystical foreshadowing of Christ's death. And when his dead body hanging over the cross was pierced by the lance, it was from his side that there issued forth the blood and water that, as we know, signifies the sacraments by which the church is built up. Um, in other words, Adam's, out of Adam's side came Eve, out of the side of Jesus, the new Adam, blood and water, sacraments, hence new Christian life. So that's a beautiful meditation there. Um, let, let's go back to Chris Austin, who writes on this, uh, just, just to conclude the meditation here. Let's go back to Chris Austin. Uh, anticipating and responding to 1 Corinthians 11's connection to 1 Timothy chapter 2. These are two of the anti-feminist readings in the Bible. We have them both on this, the case for patriarchy uh, cup here. You can buy this online. Uh, uh, Chrysostom connects in this anticipation the concept of male, male primacy, male firstness and male in-chargeness with that of male moral instruction, like a priest, the priest of the household. I know some of you out there are half half on this. You're one foot in, one foot out on, uh, you know, God save the patriarchy, you know, heaven kill feminism. And so you'll say some of these things like, you know, men should be priests of the household, but then they don't want the logical conclusion required by that turn of phrase. Moral instruction by males, meaning total dominion by males, by husband, is required by the, you know, priest of the household imagery that many of you are comfortable with that, but you're not comfortable with the conclusions. Get comfortable with it. Read scripture. To know scriptures, to know Christ, and to know scriptures, to know whether if you're a married person, if you're a man, headship. If you're a, a wife, hardship, submission. Uh, things went wrong when Eve tried to teach Adam as if she were a priest. I'm going to show you how this works out for John Chrysostom. Listen to what he says. Look what happened the one time, the first time, a woman tried to teach her husband, as if she were the priest of the household. 
Things go well when Adam uses his headship to teach Eve. Things go off the rails. The greatest tragedy ever. Banishment from the garden when Eve tries to teach Adam. Here's Chris Austin. If it be asked, what has this to do with women of the present day? This is Chris Austin in his day. It shows that the male sex enjoyed the higher honor. Man was first formed. And elsewhere, he shows, uh, he being Paul, shows their superiority, he means of rank, not of dignity. Quote, neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you don't believe me, go look it up yourself, do your own research. This is why Protestants are better on feminism, by and large, than Catholics. Because Catholics don't read the Bible. Catholics don't know the Bible. This is clear. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Why does he then say this, says Chris Sostom? He wishes the man to have the preeminence in every way, both for the reason given above, he means let him have precedence, and on account of what occurred afterwards. For the woman taught the man once and made him guilty of disobedience and wrought our ruin. Therefore, because she made a bad use of her power over the man, or rather her equality with him, God made her subject to the husband. Thy desire shall be to thy husband, this has not been said to her before. Now, other uh, patristic theologians disagree with, uh, with Chrysostom to the effect that uh, Adam had rule over Eve only post-lapsarian after the fall, not pre-lapsarian before the fall. There, um, many theologians, I'd say the majority view is that Adam had dominion over Eve just from the chronological ordering, his, his ontological primacy, she being made from him, she being made for him, not the other way around. Chrysostom seems a little confused on this point because he cites some of this, then he contradicts it. Either way, whether you're with Chrysostom or against him, everyone agrees, everyone up to, I don't know, Matthew Henry, everyone agrees for, for the first 2,000 years of Christianity that after the fall of Adam and Eve, Male dominion was the only way, okay? No one, aside from people after the 1960s, began trying to be a Christian and to say that there's no such thing as husbandly dominion over wives. This is brand new. It's got no intellectual basis for existence. It's got no uh, um, pedigree. Got no intellectual teeth. And people just repeat it largely because they're confused and because they've heard other people repeat it and because they're afraid to go against the feminist lynch mob. That doesn't always mean women, right? The feminist lynch mob is just the, the mainstream media, even in the church. Even the church is largely capitulated. One more quote from Chris Austin here, which will make the case kind of uh, complete. Why was Eve made from Adam's rib? Because it's a, it's a place of dignity. It's nearest the heart. Women are called the heart of the home. Men are the head. But she wasn't made of his head. How many times do you have to read this to get, oh, it doesn't mean egalitarianism, total equality. What it means is complementarity. Different members of the body. The male's the head. Female's the heart. Or that which protects the heart in another construction. All right, listen to Chris Austin here. 
This is, again, another cause. Uh, he's talking about the covering of the female head before the leader or the head of the tribe, um, which signifies, across many cultures, including Christian cultures, the absolute dominion of the leader when you cover your head in front of him. Um, and Chrysostom will call it natural. So he says, this is, again, another cause. Not only, so St. Paul speaks, because he has Christ to be his head, ought he not to cover the head. A sin for men to veil. Women must veil. It's a sin for men to veil. Why? Because when Adam veiled his authority, all of humanity was lost from the garden. <laughs> the fall, the original sin, because Adam veiled his authority, men are not allowed to veil their headship. But because also man rules over the woman, says Chris Austin. Uh, I'm sorry, says Chris Awesome, quoting St. Paul. For the ruler, when he comes before the king, ought to have the symbol of his rule. And therefore, no ruler without military girdle and cloak would venture to appear before him that hath the diadem, the ruler. So neither do thou, without the symbols of thy rule, pray before God, lest thou insult both thyself and him that have honored thee. And the same thing, likewise, one may say regarding the woman. For her also... It is a reproach than not having the symbols of her subjection. It's important. But the woman is the glory of man, therefore the ruler of ma- the rule of man is natural. Okay, this is another great passage not included in uh, that first uh, t- ten spot conglomeration that I pulled from this uh, blessed. What's what's his name? I forget. I forget what his name is. The guy that that uh, had the ten direct and iner- inerrant scripture quotes contradicting egalitarianism. Uh, Fulton. Fulton's his name, not Fulton Sheen. Okay. Um, it's really really important. <laughs> the the woman is the glory of man. Man is not, and man is the glory of God. This is also directly from Scripture. This is also St. Paul. And that's not even one of those 10 passages. Okay, St. Thomas makes a nearly identical comment to the last one I just read you by Lombard on the same exact passage of Scripture. Chrysostom, not Lombard. Nearly identical comment. Also, St. Thomas robustly defends the precision of the notion of man as God's glory and woman as man's glory. Um... He, he does so, Aquinas, in his commentary on the letters to the Corinthians, chapter 226. I'm going to read it to you. See, I bring the receipts. This book is the receipts, by the way. I'm, this, is just, this is just a slice. It's such a slam dunk case for male husbandly dominion, holy dominion, servantly dominion, but dominion all the same over the household, women's subjection under the husband, under a goodly king. That it's the, it's easy. It's just pages upon pages of proof. Okay, it's like like Phaser um, and Bissett's book on the death penalty. They just obliterate the anti-death penalty arguments from the Catholic perspective. Here's what Aquinas says in his uh, commentary on the letters to the Corinthians: Some object that because the image of God in man is regarded with respect to the spirit, in which there is no difference between male and female. Therefore, there is no more reason why man is called the image of God than a woman is. The answer, says Aquinas, again, the titular head, 
uh, the namesake of the show that I'm responding to, you know, Father, Father Pine. The answer is that a man is here called the image of God in a special way, namely because man is the principle of his entire race. Principle means the beginning. Remember, he was made before the woman. As God is the principle of the entire universe, and because from the side of Christ, dying on the cross, flowed the sacraments of blood and water from which the church has been organized. You see, he got that latter concept from Augustine. Do you see? So, woman's the glory of man, man's the glory of God. This is not the equality simplicitaire that the so-called Christian feminists want. I don't know if Father Pine would consider himself in that number, but it is not the egalitarianism or the equality simplicitaire that he's arguing for. It's a special kind of equality between men and women that a Christian, a a Bible-believing, magisterium and tradition-abiding Christian will follow. It's only equality of dignity, a.k.a. complementarity, which means we're radically different. The man rules. And, and, and if you do, if you rule the right way, if you're, not a, if, you're, if you're a good man, you will be busy and happy and contented and well-loved by not only your wife, but your, your kids. There's a totally, totally different rapport there, obviously. But uh, remember, Islam is a whole different thing. That, that is very close to the idea of Eve being made from the foot of Adam. That's not Christian. Yeah, so I would I would conclude with with a couple of thoughts here. Um, I'm gonna print off the questions right now. Yeah, yeah, and then then we'll we'll do some questions and we'll get out of here. But I I would conclude with the notion that it's it's dangerous to entertain any Christian feminism. It's all wrong. It's all wrong, and it's all based on a fallacy. And I think I think with all due respect, call me out if I'm wrong. But Father Pine operates under the heading of this fallacy. It goes like this. The modern world, modern medicine, has turned up discoveries. I don't know why people say this. They just say it. There's no, they never can cite any. Which proves that what we know today disproves uh, you know, the assumptions of uh, Jerome, Chrysostom, Aquinas, St. Paul, Augustine, Lombard, Am I missing any? Those are the seven names. Those names span almost 1,500 years of Christian writings, okay? Also, Leo Thirteenth, Pius Tenth, Pius Eleventh, Pius Twelfth, from within a century, all say the same thing. They bridge the gap. I didn't bother to, to read to you. I also have it in, in the case for patriarchy. The Roman Catechism on the duties of husbands, the duties of wives. But um, Father Pine made a comment to the extent that uh, Aquinas was operating under a faulty Aristotelian anatomy of men and women that has now been outmoded, outranked. Also in this book, I refute that show with, with uh, bionormative data, biochemical data. There's this one study I cite that shows some, uh, some, uh, some area in the cortex of fetal brains, male and female, that operated differently in the womb. And what the researchers expected to find 
um, was that if they retested this, you know, the activity flares in the brain when a baby was five years old and seven years old, they would find that the, uh, the radical difference, as the philosophers call it, between the male and the female brain had grown because of, of course, the abiding feminist assumption that sex and the difference between the two sexes is a social construct. And what did they find? The exact opposite. What they found was the opposite of what they're trying to prove, these uh, uh, neurobiologists. It was that society, living in society for five or seven or nine years, I forget how often they tested the kids out of the womb, had the opposite effect. It made the brain chemistry of the little boy and the little girl more androgynous, that in the womb where no social constructs could influence the way that a male brain operates and a female brain operates, um, completely apart from influence, they were most different. And then when they got into our tranny 2022 day or whenever this was done, it was done in the 20-teens, our transsexual uh, gender dysphoric era, then they started becoming more androgynous. The, the comedy, the parody grew. So it disproved everything. And it's hard to find this research. It's very hard to go find it, but it's there. Also, simple things like hand-eye coordination, uh, operating a vehicle for men, for men, well, obviously physical strength. Yeah, that, that I don't even think. The, the, the females want the, the tranny men out of their sports, so they kind of acknowledge strength and, and speed, sure. But hand-eye coordination, basic motor abilities, even basic reasoning abilities, they show operating a car. A woman is using both her left and her right brain. The man's only using his left brain. We're, we're built to do different things. We're totally different. The idea of equality is a myth. Aside from dignitarian equality, totally equal in God's eyes, the other side of the eschaton. But this side, and that's the mystery of Adam's rib. That's the mystery of this question, whether or not Adam had dominion before or after the lapse only. It's no question that this side of the eschaton, uh, husbands have dominion. But there is some sort of openness I, I think the majority view is clearly that, you know, Adam was made first. She was made for him. She is the glory of man. He is the glory of God. Uh, he's the namer, not only of her, but of the animals. And it's, it's clear he had a kind of dominion before, but that dominion grew and was radicalized by Eve sinning first, which also, by the way, is one of those uh, needlessly politically charged issues. All of the patristic fathers agree that Eve sinned first. Okay? So this stuff is pretty clear. It's pretty clear. And will you accept it? That's not an intellectual issue. The evidence is strong in this book. And Steph, Steph cites a bunch of it in Ask Your Husband, too. Different, different emphasis here. This, there's a little bit more of a narrative tone in Ask Your Husband, but she cites a lot of it in, what is it, chapter 5 and chapter 6? My citations are, are mostly in chapters two and three. Will you be convinced? That's a matter of your intellect. 
and it's, it's a pretty easy job. Read one or both of these books. Will you do what you've been convinced of? That's a matter of your will, loving the proper things, serving the proper things. I know it's a, it's, it, you know, people act like it's a big ask. It's not. This is just how, this is just how it works when the family works and everything is broken down because the family won't work. So it is a completely respectful, uh, amicable friend to friend, uh, even in the case of the priest, uh, son to fatherly correction of Father Pine, who I like very much. I've, I've wanted to have on this show for a, a long time anyway. But it had to be said. That's, it's just, it's not an opinion. It's absolutely incorrect. And uh, so now I, I think I'll, I'll turn to taking your questions. Having shown theologically, anagogically, analogically, and biologically even that it's not true that in the 21st century we figured out that women really are equal to men. That's just a fallacy. Uh, that men are equal to women. That, the, that our bodily differences reflect no theological, teleological, purpose-oriented differences. No, we're meant to have differences. The differences are meant to remain. Here are the questions right here. Sorry, it wasn't all. Okay. Uh, authorities is significantly that he conspicuously leaves out Jesus Christ because Jesus did more for women than anyone else. You cite all the fathers but leave out Christ um, because you don't like what, Christ says and does regarding women? Question mark. Um, no, 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 not at all. That, uh, no, absolutely not. I, if you have, look, as always, my friends, if you have anything, I mean, Jesus didn't write anything, of course, right? Jesus is being written about by Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul in the Bible. So a lot of, I, I understand a lot of, uh, Catholics are re reasonably new to the Bible, but hey, if you have anything you think in the Sermon on the Mount or anything like that, it's, trust me, it's not going, Jesus would not contradict in his teachings what St. Paul wrote about him, what St. John wrote about him. Uh, probably I should have stated that the other way around. St. Paul's not going to contradict, as one of the primary writers of the New Testament, what Jesus' teachings were. That would be a catastrophe for the faith, right? If St. Paul were writing oppositely on the duties of married men and married women to Christ himself. Instead, Paul inerrantly writes in eight different places what the meaning of Christ is. So I know a lot of Catholics are new to the Bible or newish to a deeper read of the Bible. The synoptics, look, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they have a less robust Christology but John, who's not like the other three, and Paul are the two writers of the Christian Bible that give us a really meaningful Christology on Jesus. Jesus didn't write himself, okay? Jesus didn't write any parts of the Bible, if that's what you're thinking. But John and Paul writing about Christ in inerrant scripture, every word of it's true, say Jesus is to the church as a husband is to his wife. That appears several times in especially Paul, but it's also insinuated in John. So no, I would, of course, never. But Jesus didn't write anything. Uh, next question. Um, right here. Um, uh, sorry. Uh, Aquinas wasn't Pope or a prophet. How much divine weight does his theology have? That's a good question. Um, 
It doesn't now. Now Aquinas, uh, by himself, was not even right. He's not a member of the magisterium. However, however, uh, most of the Roman Catechism is a reference to the Summa. Uh, Pope Leo the Thirteenth said that the Summa is the single most important theological work which informed the actual magisterium of the Church. He is ranked above all the other doctors of the church, called the angelic doctor, meaning he's, he's so smart, he's like an angel, um, for that reason. And uh, other popes have said, Pius X, Pius Twelfth have said similar things about Aquinas, that no, he wasn't a member of the magisterium because he wasn't a bishop. But he, above all the other doctors of the church, being called a doctor of the church means you're a teacher of the magisterium itself. So there's one indirect route. But he, above all of the uh, couple dozen doctors of the church, is the angelic doctor. And at the, uh, what was it? The Council of Trent, they set the Summa almost as high on the table as the Bible. So uh, the other tests, um, my friend, about Aquinas wasn't Pope or a prophet, is that he's teaching 100% consonant to what's written in the Bible. Just 100%. What he's saying squares with the Bible. With all due respect, once more, what Father Pine said contradicts the Bible, right? I mean, let's go through it again, okay? These are 10 scripture passages. Okay, yeah, get your hands ready, Steffi. That um, Aquinas says these are correct. People who are tainted by Christian feminism, my friends, they, not Aquinas, not Augustine, not Lombard, not, not uh, Jerome, not Chrysostom, not Ambrose, they all teach like Aquinas in one direction. It's the people tainted by a little Christian feminism, not even intentionally, like Father Pine, accidentally, by absorbing it, Without knowing it, they're the ones teaching that the Bible is wrong. Here we go. Ready for these 10? I'm ready. Aquinas literally teaches on these, uh, I think, all 10 of these passages. Number one, the husband is the head of the wife. That's Ephesians. (laughs) (laughs) Number two, the woman being made for the man and not the man for the woman. This is is inerrant scripture. The word of God. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 9. Number three, therefore the woman is not to usurp authority over the man, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Number four, but to be obedient, Titus chapter 2. Number five, uh, submitting herself, Colossians chapter 3. With reverence, Ephesians chapter 5. <laughs> In subjection to her husband, 1 Peter chapter 3. Meanwhile, the husband is to love his wife as his own body, okay, Ephesians 5, that's 8. <laughs> Otto, uh, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, Ephesians 5. And number 10, he's especially to honor his wife, which covers numbers 8 and 9, because of her weakness and her dependence. That comes from First Peter. That's the Bible, okay? So when, generally speaking, a um, patristic thinker or a scholastic thinker, the best patristic is Augustine, the best scholastic is Aquinas, but there are second and third ranks in each of these millenniums. Patristics were first millennium, scholastics were second millennium. Like uh, Ambrose, uh, Jerome, they're kind of number two and number three in that era, in one of those orders. Uh, Peter Lombard is often taken to be number two scholastic. 
right? So I, I cited all of these guys and they're all saying the same thing. You ask, oh, Aquinas wasn't Pope or prophet. How much weight does this theology have? Well, you have natural reason, my friends, and you know when Aquinas is going this direction, Augustine's going this direction, Scripture's going this direction, okay? What Father Pine said, and, and many others, not just him, went this direction. He said, oh, we've learned that whatever the proposition is, men, men, with regard to dominion over women. We've learned in the modern day that any who say that men have dominion over women are wrong. We know this with modern science. You know, COVID science is modern science. That's not even true. He didn't even substantiate it. And you know that that's when you get into a conflict. Aquinas goes the direction of scripture. He always defers to scripture. He almost always defers to Augustine. And he always cites a million passages in scripture to show what he's saying. Your natural reason is capable of discerning this. You could tell when people say, oh, feminism is just right in 2,000 years of Christianity, beginning with the Bible and the teachings of Jesus and St. Paul. Those are wrong. You see what I mean? So that's how you know that his theology has divine weight with natural reason anyway, because you could tell that he's propping up the Bible. He's not stripping it down. The Christian feminists go the other way. What about mutual submission? What about it? What about, I, that's my question. What about mutual submission? What is, what is that? Um, it sounds like it means something that's not in the Bible. But, I mean, again, and, and num- question number four is, can you address JP2 on women? Mutual submission is, what about mutual submission is question number three. I'm not trying to be snarky here. I don't want to be snarky. I want to answer your questions as faithfully and honestly and directly as I can. But I don't know what about JP2 on women. I don't know where he went wrong. I don't know why JP2 kissed the Quran, right? I don't know why JP2 went to a C. I don't know why he did everything he did, okay? But even JP2 uh, did say that it's a grave wrong for women to work outside the home. Mm-hmm. They had to work in the home. So JP2 had these flirtings with things that weren't in the Bible, but... um. Mutual submission is not in the Bible. That is not scriptural, okay? I, that's, all, that's all I could say. The, the phrase doesn't appear anywhere in the Bible. It's a bit like the Supreme Court's 14th Amendment jurisprudence in Roe versus Wade. They say there's a right to privacy in the 14th Amendment. There's no right to privacy in the 14th Amendment. They, what they say is it's a like a, a, what is it? A penumbra of a shadow of something required by the 14th Amendment the right to privacy. They seed the Roe versus Wade court that there's no words right to privacy in the 14th Amendment. This is the best analogy I can give you to JP2 on mutual submission. There is no... Submission is completely one way. I mean, do you need me to read for the... It's labor extends that JP2 talks about. It's like the first Laborum extends, right. He writes, just remuneration for the work of an adult who is responsible for a family means remuneration which will suffice for establishing and properly maintaining a family and providing security for its future. Such remuneration can be given either through what is called a family wage, that is a single salary given to the head of the family, the husband, for his work sufficient to the needs of his family without the other spouse, having to take up gainful employment outside the home, the, the wife, 
or through other social measures such as family allowances, grants to mothers devoting themselves exclusively to their families. Um, these grants should correspond to the actual needs, that is, to the number of dependents, etc., etc. So, uh, um, yeah, that's from Laborum Exorcins. And so even JP2 is not the feminist that a lot of Christian feminists want to turn him into. I will grant them he's part of the feminist that they want to turn him into. And the worst part is this made-up right to privacy, you know, the way that exists, doesn't exist in the 14th Amendment, but is required of it, the pro-abortionists argue. There is no mutual submission in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 5. Go check your Bible. Don't take my word for it. Go check your Bible. Ephesians 5, verses 21 to 24. This is not mutual submission. St. Paul says, I've read it 10 times here today, wives must submit to their husbands in all ways. I read you eight other passages from St. Paul today saying wives must submit to husbands in all ways. Husbands, in an analogical way, will lay down their life or submit their life for their wife. If someone comes, you know, if you're stuck in traffic on the 405 and someone comes and shoots you through, you know, comes up with a gun through the window like they were doing a few years back. This was happening on the 405. You say, shoot me, don't shoot my wife. Shoot me, don't shoot my kids. That is a submission of one's life. That is not submission to the authority. When we're talking about family dominion it is one way okay so be crystal clear this right here this line on jp2 right here he says women taking up work is wrong this is jp2 this is jp2 still laborum exorcens having to abandon household tasks in order to take up paid work outside the home is wrong from the point of view of the good of society and of the family uh when it contradicts or hinders these primary goals the mission of a mother. Okay? So that's that's JP2. And yes, he I agree. He's very confused on submission on Ephesians 5 verses 21 to 24. Everyone get it out. Go go get up on Bible Gateway or whatever. Ephesians chapter 5 21 to 24. That's what he he thought he saw the word mutual in there and it's not. It's absolutely monolithic submission, wife to husband. Do women have the right to lead? It it depends. If a woman is a, a, a widow, then she has to do the best to lead her family. It will, you know, that very clearly, today's show stands for the proposition that women are built for followership, body and soul. Men are built for leadership. And there's also something corresponding with this that I think many of you will recognize in your own lives. Men who, remember on Godfather, first Godfather, when Vito tells Sonny, he actually, he tells the whole room this, but he's speaking to Sonny in what's called like an indirect question. He's like, a man can never be a real man unless he enjoys spending time with his family. And he means spend a lot of it. Because Sonny's a, a slime ball. He cheats on his wife. He's the scum of the earth. He doesn't love his wife. A man that doesn't love his wife is an unfit king and a tyrant. And if you cheat on your wife, then you're a worse form of this. Okay, so the point of all of this is that um, 
men need to learn to lead and they need to learn to lead by being around the family lots much much more than they are the reason that men spend a lot of time away from the home is one because of feminism they're being barked at they're not meant to be barked at but two a lot of them are i'm just being honest here too many men in 2022 are slime balls they don't know how to have fun around their wife. They don't have enough of, uh, of a friendship with their wife, which is absolutely strengthened by complementarity, by your attraction to each other, by the different kinds of service you give one another. By the way, Steph's bet noir, she's an amazing fast chore doer. She hates laundry. <laughs> I, I help her with laundry. I never get barked at. I just like to do it because she's such a nice person and she helps me with so much stuff. So it happens naturally when everyone's filling their role. You almost never fight. We, we almost never fight, okay? It's just beautiful. Sonny Corleone, on the, other on the other hand, is a scumbag, and too many men fashion their marriages after Sonny. They're not being leaders. They're being scumbags. They cheat on their wife or just don't enjoy the time around their wife, wives. And wh what they're also doing regarding leadership is they go form a motorcycle club or a, a no homers club or a no wives club or whatever. And they, they're like, I'm second ranked in my, my wine tasting club. That's, that's lame leadership, right? Get your ass home, go home, play video games, watch movies, play board games, go play a family football game, play basketball, play tag, play with your kids and your wife too. Everyone should be having a good time together and praying with one another. Besides, you ought to be spending more of your time at home, men. That's what it is to be a leader. And the thing is, it's a blocked wish, a natural drive. Men are all born to be leaders. They're all in these lame weekend warrior activities, 90% of men in 2022, because it's a blocked wish at home. And your, your friends don't look at you as a leader anyway, even if you're second ranked in your wine club. Go home, exercise your leadership there in a fun way. That's what makes real devotion. That's what makes real affinity. Okay? That's, that's where you're really born to be a leader. Your body tells you to be a leader. Your mind tells you to be a leader if you're a man. Go home and be a nice, helpful, fun leader. Everyone will listen to you. Uh, okay, should a woman go to a Catholic church even if her husband doesn't go? Yes. Yes. Try to convert him slowly. Uh, like a, a man of the hidden heart. St. Paul addresses this. Man of the hidden heart. Number seven, it's the context of Scripture in the time it was in. How can it be applied today? Uh, this, is, this is one of those nonsensical, uh, historical, critical ways of getting around and inerrant it is not this is not contextualized in the time of scripture something that's contextualized in the time of scripture is crop advice right something uh, that is particular to weather patterns they were having then when we are talking about anthropology something central to the soul of mankind that is immutable unchanging and also there are far fewer of these unique contexts of scripture than the historical, critical, biblical exegetes would have you believe. This all came out of the University of Tübingen in Germany. It's all garbage. It's a hot mess. No, husbands and wives are exactly what they were 
2022 uh, compared against, you know, the year 30 AD. Nonsense. It's just nonsense, right? I still have the exact same physical disparities with my wife that a man of St. Paul's day had with his wife. It's utter rubbish. Stop saying it. There's no cause for saying This is just asserting your conclusion. You, you see something as a Christian in inerrant scripture you don't like, and you just say, oh, I'm going to treat this like crop advice from a heat wave they were having in 35 AD in Palestine. That's nonsense, and you know it's nonsense. It tastes a lie on your tongue when you say it, right? It's not context of scripture. Men and women. So you think St. Paul in the eight places he repeats that man is to wife as Christ is to the church? That that's unique? You think Christology changes? No. Or that biology or biology God's changes? creation is changed? It's absurd. It's, not, it's, it's an outrage to say that. And I know they, they developed this at Tumingen, the pre-Sankt Gallen mafia types. It's nonsense. Taste the lie on your lips as you say it. Is a single adult woman still under the authority of her father? Whom does a widow submit to? These are good practical questions, not gotcha questions. Um... No, a single adult woman is not fully under the authority of her father, right? If she lives under her own roof, then there's, there's a difference between Judaic law of the Old Testament, a Deuterocanon, and Christian law. No, I mean, she doesn't have to obey him once she attains her majority, especially if she moves out of the house, which is a common, common thing nowadays. So, and yeah. she can work, single women can work. And single women can work and must work. So, no, these things don't apply to her father to daughter as they would husband to wife. That's why uh, Christianity was very specific about a woman being able legally in Christendom to marry a husband who her husband or her father doesn't approve of, whom her father doesn't approve. Okay? Christianity was the first worldview or world religion to say, no, you don't need the father's approval. Very specifically happened in the 7th or 8th century. Whom does a widow submit to? Here, she is acting as best she can through no fault of her own as a kind of surrogate for the head of the household. So she has no husband to answer to. Uh, number nine, uh, does she return to the self-authority of a single woman? Uh, I guess this is the widow. Uh, in the sense that she must work, she must leave the home, all these things which contradict the Roman catechism. And she doesn't take orders from anyone in the home. The kids take all the orders from her now. So basically, yes. Does a non-Catholic Christian husband have a spiritual headship over his Catholic wife? Uh, yes, it's a natural headship and it's natural spiritual. Now, he doesn't have the right to tell her not to go to church, a Catholic church, or go to confession. So partly yes with an F, partly no with a but. It's a, it's a complex of things, but he is still naturally, it, it's a natural law. Men are bigger than women. Our brain chemistry is different. We solve problems in a different way in, in most of the ways associated with leadership or all of the ways associated with leadership faster. Um, natural variation being what it is. So it's mostly a natural dominion. That natural dominion will burgeon if this man converts to Catholicism. Um, at which time, you know, the marriage becomes sacramental. 11, what about women teachers and leaders in the Old Testament? Uh, these teachers and leaders only taught women. Deborah is our favorite example. 
what about female saints who are leaders and teachers such as Joan of Arc? Not, not a leader, okay? Joan of Arc never fought a battle. She's not a real military leader. She was an inspiration to men in a much cruder version of the way Mary can be an inspiration to men, like you know, soldiers holding uh, the rosary in their right hand across the breast pocket or whatever. They're thinking of Mary. Joan of Arc was an inspiration. She never fought a battle. Of course, times weren't different then. Joan of Arc would have been, it would have been brutal for her on the battlefield. No one would have wanted that. No one allowed it. She never fought one battle. She was not a military leader. She was a military inspiration though, like Mary or any of the great female saints. Uh, Deborah and Hulda only taught women. The Bible is very explicit. Women, if they teach, can only teach women, which is why Steph addresses this book to Christian wives, not husbands. Okay, so it's a tight system. It all works out. I was hoping to have the, uh, you know, peppering session from Christian feminists. I, I had a few lined up, but that fell through for, for Tuesday's show. That's why we just didn't do a show. Instead, this came up. God bless uh, Father Pine and, and Matt Frad and Pints with Aquinas. It's an excellent channel. Go see that. If any of you are mutual viewers of uh, uh, Rules for Retrogrades and, and Pints with Aquinas, let, let them know that we did a respectful reply, and uh, I'd love to have Father Pine on the show. Love to have Matt on the show. What's that? Oh, yeah, Lent class tonight. Um, so our RCIA doing some hardcore, I don't have the Thomas's Shorter Summa book here, but some hardcore real, uh, what do I call it? Redoing of, uh, red-pilled redoing of Christian indoctrination again. Uh, can't call it RCIA, but come on. Who are we kidding? That's what it is. God bless you guys. I hope this show was helpful to you. Love your wives. Wives, love your husbands. Be good to each other. It's a beautiful life, even if it feels harried at times. Love your wives. God bless you. Deus Volt. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit.